Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all really love Jesus, man. I mean, it was the perfect day to stay at home and watch a live stream. Snowing, losing hours sleep. Man, I can tell just looking at y'all, y'all are some Jesus-loving people, man. Thank you for being here. <clears throat> hey, today we're going to wrap up our uh, study of the book of Colossians. Uh, we call this study uh, Standing Strong in an Age of Deception. Do you guys agree with that, that the days are deceptive that we live in? I mean, we have an enemy who's always trying to deceive us. And so much of God's church has bought that. So let's do a kind of a quick flyover of some of the things we've learned in our study of the book of Colossians. Uh, Satan wants us to believe false teaching. So we got to stand strong in Jesus. Satan wants to blind our eyes to who Jesus really is. So we have to stand strong in Jesus. Satan wants us to be a weak, sick church. That's why we have to stand strong in Jesus. Satan wants us to stay spiritual babies instead of growing strong in our faith. So we got to stay strong in Jesus. Satan wants to steal our identity. So we, we forget that we are children of the king. So we better stand strong in Jesus. Satan wants to deceive our families. So we better stand strong in Jesus. See, we live in an age of deception, and our enemy is continually trying to deceive us. I believe in church there are three specific lies Satan is always trying to convince us of. First, I'm a good person. Man, I hear it all the time. Well, I, man, I, I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, good people go to heaven, right? Eh, no. Only perfect people go to heaven. You say, well, I'm in trouble then, right? Except Jesus takes our imperfections and gives us his perfection. Heaven's about Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, Jesus said. And then we kind of, I hear this all the time. You know, there's a funeral. Somebody says, well, if anybody made it, they did. And what they mean is they were such a good person. Nobody gets there that way. But see, we see ourselves in a false light. We believe, we believe Satan's lie. So, so here's kind of how it goes. I'm here. Jesus is over here. He's perfect, wonderful, our righteous Savior. But here's what we think. I'm here. Billy Graham's here. Jesus is over there. So we go, well, you know, I mean, I know I'm not perfect like Jesus. I know I'm not Billy Graham. Uh -uh. But here's how we need to see it. Right here. You know who's here? Hitler. Osama bin Laden. Vladimir Putin. Think of the most evil, wicked person that comes to your mind. They're right here. 
And you can't put a piece of paper between who they are and who me and you are. If we're going to start measuring by goodness, we've got to get the scale right. So it's not, well, I'm not Jesus, and I'm not Billy Graham, but I'm not Hitler for crying out loud. Got the wrong scale. You see, here's how it works. Me, you, Billy Graham, Hitler, all right here. And then there's Jesus. And we can't even measure the difference. That's a lie. I'm a good person. How about this? I just need a little bit of Jesus. Uh, I mean, man, I, I need some Jesus on Sunday morning. I really don't want any Jesus on Saturday night because, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I, I'm a good person. So that means I just need a little bit of Jesus. I mean, I believe. James said even the demons believe and tremble. The question isn't how much of Jesus do we have. The question is have we died? To ourselves, Have we surrendered everything to Jesus? How about this line? I'm not in a war. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are in a war. We are in a war against the kingdom of darkness. You see, if Satan can convince us, I'm good. I think I have enough Jesus. And I'm not in a war. He'll own us, man. Mm. Here's how it works. Look at this. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. You guys get this right. Anybody who thinks, I'm good enough to get to heaven, I have enough of Jesus, and I'm not in a war, they're not a believer. Doesn't matter if they're in church. Satan has, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the, the glory of Christ is the exact likeness of God. So how do we counter those lies? How do we, OBC, stand strong in an age of deception? What do we need? So let's jump in. Um, what a church needs to stand strong in an age of deception. Here's the first thing as we wrap up this study. Thoughtful prayer. If we're going to stand strong as a church, we have to have thoughtful prayer. Colossians 4.2. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So in, in verse 2, Paul really says three things about prayer. Be devoted. Be alert. Be thankful. Um, devote yourself to prayer. That means it's got to be genuine and personal. Devote yourself. That's personal, right? And it means, man, you've got to be serious about it. Devote yourself. You know, it's absolutely impossible to have a personal relationship with somebody you don't talk to. It's just the way it is. And then he says, um, do this 
in a personal and genuine way. Remember what Jesus said when he said, uh, don't be like those hypocrites that they go out on the street corner and pray and uh, just so everybody can hear them. And everybody says, oh boy, listen to the way they pray. They're really something. And Jesus said, that is their reward. That's it. They, God's not even hearing their prayers. There's not going to be any answer to prayer. But they certainly impress people who like that stuff. And he says, pray with an alert mind. Um, I, I really don't have to ask this question because I know the answer is yes. <laughs> when you pray, how often does this happen? You're praying, man. You, you're connected. Then the next thing you know, you're thinking about what you have to get to the store. Or you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. I mean, it's like, God, thank, thank God, thank you that we gather and worship you today. I think I'm going to have the California burrito today. Yeah, you ever get there? Everybody does that. That's why Paul says, pray with an alert mind. You have to have a disciplined mind. And then he says, and with a thankful heart. Man, you guys get this, right? Nothing significant ever happens in Jesus' church without prayer. I love to read Charles Spurgeon on prayer. He was a, one of the greatest preachers in history uh, of the past century. Uh, he said a praying church is a powerful church. Um, just after he had built this ginormous church in London, it was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, three levels. I mean, an incredible place, man. God was just pouring out his spirit on this church. And some guests came and said, how do you explain that? How can you explain thousands of people? I mean, so many people came that couldn't get in. They would open the windows and people would stand outside and listen. He said, well, come on, I'll show you our power plant. And he took them down to the basement of the church. They think they're going to see a boiler. But there's a room that held hundreds of people. And every time Charles Spurgeon stood to preach, hundreds of people from the Metropolitan Tabernacle were on their knees praying that God would speak to people. Amazing, man. I love what he said. Look at this. Go to the next. We're looking for Charles Spurgeon quotes. Okay. Neglect of private prayer is a locus which devours the strength of a church. Wow. How about this one? Look at this. I love this. Prayer is an art which only the Holy Spirit can teach us. You know what that means? The more you're on your knees, the more you're on your face before God, the Holy Spirit who lives in you teaches you how to communicate with the Lord God Almighty. Prayer is an art which only the Spirit can teach he is the giver of all prayer. No man can progress in grace if he forsakes prayer. He knows how to overcome with God in prayer, has heaven and earth at his disposal. He who gets that, anybody who understands, nothing happens of any significance in God's kingdom without prayer. Listen, it thrills my soul to be a part of a praying church. I'm just telling you, man, our prayer 
ministry is unbelievable. Do you know people are praying for you right now? That God will stir your heart so you'll hear from him. Last two weekends in a row, we had our teenagers' weekends, one for high school, one for middle school. If you would have been there, you would have seen people all over the building praying. When the teaching of the Bible was going on, people outside of that room with their hands on the wall praying that God will move. I'm just telling you, man, this is a praying church, and thank God for it. Here's the second thing we need to stay strong in an age of deception. Gospel preaching. Colossians 4, verse 3. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's the gospel. So all through our study of Colossians, you've seen this, where Paul would talk about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. Man, how can it be that God himself would put on skin, become a human being, live a perfect sinless life, die on a cross to bear our sin, Rise again after three days to conquer sin and death and offer us a gift of eternal life. That is the gospel. That is a mystery. Why would God do that? Because he loves us. Wow. That's why I'm here in chains, he says. He's in, cha- He's in prison for preaching the gospel. Verse 4 says, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Isn't it interesting? Paul's in prison. But he doesn't say pray that God will open the prison doors. He says pray that God will open the doors for the gospel. And you just can't miss that about Paul. He says it so many times. Look what he said in 1 Corinthians 1. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, he didn't mean literally the cross could be emptied of its power. Nothing could do that. He's just saying, if I show up and I'm preaching and I'm very eloquent and I'm really engaging and people are like, oh, Paul, oh, Paul, he's so great. Oh, man, don't you love to hear Paul? He said, man, I don't want anybody to see me. I want people to see the power of the cross. I want people to see the gospel. How about this? And Ephesians 3, 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the gospel. How about this? And uh, 1 Corinthians 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Listen, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ must be the heart of any church. It must be the heart and passion of this church. Um, I read a story about this church. I think it was in uh, Boston, you know, Several decades ago, they built this ginormous new uh, uh, kind of cathedral-looking place. But they put on the outside of the building in giant letters, We Preach Christ Crucified. 
And after a few years, some ivy started growing up the walls. And the ivy covered the word crucified. So now it just said, we preach Christ. Not a bad message, but not the same message. Then a few years later, the ivy covered up the word Jesus Christ. So now it's just we preach all kinds of empty philosophies and religious sounding stuff. But they denied its power. And then eventually it just said, we. It's all about us. Which is just the opposite of the gospel message. Listen, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus at OBC is what we do. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus to preschoolers so that they know before they, before they ever get into elementary school that Jesus made them, Jesus loves them, Jesus has a great plan for their life. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to our middle schoolers. And they get saved all the time because they come to a knowledge of the truth. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to our middle schoolers, to our high schoolers. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus passionately to everyone is what we do at OBC. Because it's the truth of the gospel that gives us life that gives us purpose, that gives us hope. And until Jesus comes or death takes my breath, I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why I live. That's who we are. Third thing a church needs to stay strong in an age of deception is Jesus' conversations with unbelievers. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Um, some translations say redeeming the time. You may have grown up knowing that verse saying redeeming the time. I like this translation. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Those are powerful words to every one of us. Paul just says, we got to live wisely because time is short and the days are dark. Look what he said to the Ephesians. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Paul's just saying we got to live wisely because God always puts opportunities in front of us to bring Jesus into the conversation if we'll pay attention. That's what it means to live wisely here in this context. You see, we just get up, go to work, do our thing, have some lunch, come home, eat some supper, watch a little Netflix, go to bed, get up, go to work, have some lunch, come home, eat some supper, watch uh, episode three on Netflix, 
go to bed, get up, go to work. Without saying, God, open my eyes. Give me opportunities today to bring Jesus into the conversation. You know, when we talk about sharing our faith, I mean, it just kind of wigs people out, man. Because they think, oh, well, it feels like I have to preach. And I'm not a theologian. And I'm not sure I have enough Bible knowledge for all that. What if if they ask a question that I can't answer? Get all of that out of your head. Those are lies of the enemy that shut our mouths. Here's what it is. We look for opportunities to bring Jesus into the conversation. You having a conversation with somebody? Man, they start telling you how they're going through some really hard things right now. And you just say, you know, I went through some hard things. Let me tell you what happened. When I thought I couldn't go anymore, Jesus lifted me up. Wasn't anything weird. I just knew he's with me. And I want to tell you something. He's right here for you too. Is that hard? No. Listen, I promise you, God will use you in ways that will blow your mind. If you'll just pray, God, would you show me, would you open my eyes for opportunities just to bring you into the conversation. And you leave the rest to God. You'll be amazed what will happen. You know, I'm really excited uh, about our new building. Uh, we'll be in there in just a few weeks. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just grateful to God for one reason. I, I don't love buildings. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of hassle. It's about killed late in Everett. I'm here to tell you, man. That poor guy, he's been through so much trying to build this building. You know why I'm excited about it? Because we have more space for God to redeem more people. We have more space for God to sanctify more people. How do you think that's going to happen? Do you think people in our community and surrounding areas are just going to go, hey, they built a new building over there. Let's go see that building. They could care less about this building. They won't come. They must be brought. Look for opportunities. Bring Jesus into the conversation. That'll almost always lead to an opportunity to bring somebody to church. Question. When's the last time you brought Jesus into a conversation? 
outside of anything that has to do with church. That is not a question to make you feel guilty. That is a question to let you know what an incredible blessing you're missing. You'll be amazed. People are rarely offended. But when you bring Jesus into the conversation, he's going to do something. You're going to go, whoa, didn't see that coming. And then you're going to walk away going, man, are you kidding me? Show me another one, God. Because it does something in you that just fills you full of the joy of the Lord. Fourth thing a church needs to stay strong in an age of deception, burden-bearing friends. Hey, anybody here need a burden-bearing friend? Anybody here ever have a burden? Man, what are you talking about, right? We all need that, Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus, his friends called him Tick. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Here it comes. To let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. To help you bear your burdens. Verse 9 says, I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He was from the church there in Colossae. uh, And he and Tick will deliver to you everything that's happening here. (laughs) You get this? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a burden-bearing message. That's why Peter said, so humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Give all of those burdens to God, because he cares for you. Mm. Man. One of the things that drives me nuts about um, believers sometimes, especially in church, is they believe things that aren't in the Bible. Things like this. How many of y'all heard this? God won't put any more on you than you can bear. How many of y'all heard somebody say that? That's not in the Bible. I mean, just think about what that even means. Boy, God wants me to bear this. And God wants me to bear this. And God wants me to bear this. But now I can't bear anymore, so God won't put anything else on me. No. God says, give it all to me. I don't want you bearing anything. Give it all to me. I don't want you bearing it. I want to bear it for you. I've got big shoulders. Hmm. You ever had a burden? And somebody comes along and listens and loves you and helps you carry it. Then shows you how to give it to Jesus. It's a big deal, man.
Here's the last thing a church needs to stay strong in an age of deception. Christ-centered relationships. Um, so Colossians ends like most of Paul's epistles, just making reference to a bunch of people and what they've done. Uh, verse 10, uh, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, there with him, sends you his Grammy. Paul's writing, you know, hey, tell him I said, okay, tell him I said I'm pre-. That's what's going on here. Uh, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one called Justice, also sends his greetings. Uh, these are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. Uh, they are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Verse 12. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you. I mean, think about I mean, li- listen to this description of Epaphras, how he prays. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in uh, Laodicea and Heropolis. I mean, you, you just, man, wouldn't you, have to, wouldn't you love to have that guy as a friend, man, who's praying earnestly, praying hard for you? Mm. Verse 14, Luke The beloved doctor sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Uh, After you read this letter, pass it on uh, to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them and say to Archippus, Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Hmm. Now, I want to clear one thing up here. Paul mentions a letter that he sent to Laodicea. Um, A lot of Bible scholars believe that's the book of Ephesus. Um, but a lot of Bible critics uh, say, boy, that, that's a problem. Uh, because that means there was a letter that Paul wrote to a church that didn't find its way into the Bible. Therefore, you can't really trust anything in the Bible because you don't know what's in and what's out. And you know, I mean, if that didn't make it, how, what else didn't make it? Listen, that is not a problem. That's not problematic at all. Just let, let's assume for a minute. It's not the book of Ephesians. He really did write a letter to the church at Laodicea. Everything Paul wrote wasn't inspired by God. Everything that Paul wrote wasn't scripture. I'm sure he wrote lots of letters to lots of people. But God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired him to write certain letters under his control. Those were scripture, not everything he wrote. And so if he did write a letter to the church of Laodicea, that doesn't mean it was scripture. And he's making reference to that. Um, then Paul names several of his friends here. Uh, 
Aristarchus. This man was identified as Paul's fellow prisoner. Um, he was also a guy, uh, we studied this when we studied the book of Acts. Um, he, he was very instrumental um, in the city of Ephesus when there was a riot and he kind of stopped the riot. And then there's John Mark. Mark is the writer of the second gospel. Um, he played a very important role in the early church. Um, you might remember on Paul's first missionary, John Mark went and uh, he got about halfway through and said, I'm done with this, man. There's, man, there's no McDonald's. I mean, it's really hard out here on the mission field. Uh, I mean, you know, there, man, I can't order up any food. I, I'm out. So then it came time for the second missionary journey. And he's all gung-ho again, man. Found out they had DoorDash on a second ministry. You know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in, man. Paul said, no. No, you left first time. You don't get another shot. But Barnabas, who was there, said, Paul, take a breath. God's not done with him yet. I'm going to take him and go to these cities. You go to those cities. And then later on, in 2 Timothy, when Paul's getting ready to die, here's what he says. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark. <laughs> Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. You see, that, that's what the Holy Spirit does in Christ-centered friendships. Then there's Jesus, who they renamed Justice. Man, if you're a church leader in the first century and your name is Jesus, you better change your name. You know what I'm talking about? There, Jesus was a very common name in the first century, but obviously in the church, uh, people were named Jesus. They usually gave him another name just to cut down on the confusion. Uh, so he was a Jewish believer uh, who served with Paul. Uh, other than that, we don't know anything about it. Then there's Luke. I mean, Luke, a really, really important guy in the early church. He was a doctor who traveled with Paul to a lot of places. He went on his missionary journeys. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. I mean, huge guy. The only Gentile writer in the Bible. Uh, so all of Paul's epistles, you get this kind of list of believing friends. And you can't miss the intimacy between them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why Paul said in his letter to the Romans, our spirits, the Holy Spirit in me, Holy Spirit in you, bear witness to each other that we are children of God. We're brothers and sisters. Um, I think it's important that we have unbelieving friends. But when I'm around my unbelieving friends, it's very different conversations. There's a awkwardness when I bring up Jesus sometimes or sometimes they really listen and they say pray for me but they're not going to go there in giving their lives to Jesus it's so different with a friend who knows Jesus you have this connection that you can't have any other way we all need Christ-centered friends. It is a huge deal. So 
Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Um, They rejoice and weep with us. Look what the scripture says, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, Christians are pretty good at weeping with those who weep, but we're not so great at rejoicing with those who rejoice. Something really good happens. God blesses somebody. So many times other believers are going, well, why didn't God do that for me? Well, how come they get to? But for the most part, when great things happen, And the body of Christ says, praise the Lord. When hard things happen and people come alongside you and help you, that's a big deal. How about this? Uh, They hold us accountable when we drift. (laughs) Man, everybody is in danger of drifting all the time. That's why the Bible says in uh, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens his friend. How about this? They help us grow in our walk with God. You can't grow in God to where God wants you to be by yourself. You need Christian friends to do it. How about this? Uh, They remind us of what's true when we doubt. You ever doubt? Have you ever said, God, why? God, where, where are you? God, why is this happening to me? And your Christ-centered friends come along and say, remember how faithful God was when you went through this? Remember last year when I was going? Remember how God just, God's still God. And God knows where you're at. And you can believe him. Mm. You know, my prayer for you. My prayer for OBC. So God will take all these things that we've learned in our study of Colossians and strengthen us. Because we live in an age of deception. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you that we have truth to know when we're being deceived. So open our eyes to that, God. And God, would you, this week, give us all the courage, somewhere, someplace, someone, to bring you, Jesus, into the conversation. And we pray in your mighty name. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.